Hawks live every Thursday night at 7, live at Pearl Seafood and Oyster Bar in Bellevue's Lincoln Square. Brought to you by Heritage Distilling's Batch Number 12 Vodka. Come on now, let me take over. And Legendary Donuts on 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome to Hawks Live. It's Dave Wyman and Paul Moyer. And appreciate you guys joining us. We've got a good crowd here tonight. And now. Windy out, and they still, they weathered the storm. Yes, for good reason. For good reason. we got John Clayton. Uh, We're going to have Sam Fortier. He's going to give us an opponent preview from the Los Angeles Chargers. How many times? Over under San Diego Chargers today. Uh, There's going to be three. Three? Three or four, but it's just, I'll take the over. That's my hometown. I was born in San Diego. Were you? Yes, and I just... I can't believe you don't know that about me, Paul. Well, been, I'm thinking you're more of a Reno. For a long time. You're more but Reno guy. We're going to talk to Danny O'Neill, yep. my work wife uh, from Danny, Dave, and Moore. And then Michael Dixon's going to join us here at 8 o'clock, the Aussie punter. I think everybody's kind of fired up to hear. Have you ever seen or heard this much hype about a punter before, Paul? Yeah, John Ryan was kind of a favorite here. I, you know, he was, he, yeah. he, he was on our show many years, and he's funny, and his wife is super funny. And uh, I thought that. I know. I thought that he, I'm sure she gave him some material. Yeah. I thought he would be a tough one to replace just in the likability factor. But I got a feeling Ozzy, he's got a lot of nicknames too, right? Yeah, he does. Uh, we'll, we'll throw a few at you later, but he's going to be a crowd favorite, I can tell. Well, real quick, I want to mention we're here at Hawks Live at Pearl Seafood and Oyster Bar. We're going to give you the latest analysis, talk to Michael Dixon. Uh, I want to thank our sponsors, Heritage Distillings, Batch Number 12 Vodka, and legendary donuts. Well, Paul, before we start talking about the Los Angeles Chargers, let's recap that win last week. That was uh, that was pretty impressive. You know, I just think you say this a lot that you know you take care of business at home, but when you can go three time zones or four, I guess you would say, on in this case, you know, and win a game on the road, that used to be a problem for the Seahawks. Yep. We used to talk about that before Pete came in. You'd look at the schedule in April or May when it came out, and sometimes it could be a problem because you have the early start, which they did. That has not been a problem for this team, and uh, and they went out and took care of a 3-3 three and three team that was playing really good football. Yeah, they were, and, you know, after the – we we had a decent drive. We we took the opening kickoff and and had a six or seven play drive. Moved the ball a little bit, and then we punt it. Michael Dixon he punts it down to the nine yard line, and Detroit goes ninety one yards for a touchdown. And I go, ah oh, man, you know road game, early game, back east. I go, not good playing against a good football team. And then we dominate the rest of the game. I completely dominate the game. I, they had what three hundred and thirty yards maybe of total offense, ninety one on the opening drive, and I think we scored on their next three possessions, four out of the next five. So, look, we're playing good football. We're a good football team. Our offensive line uh, is a hard group to, to handle, and you're going to have to go four quarters with them. Defensively, we're getting pressure. We got three sacks last week. You know, Detroit only gave up 10 going into that game. Um, We had six the the game before, so we're starting to find ways to put pressure on them. We're not giving up big plays. This is Seahawk football, you know, since Pete Carroll has come here. Um, But this is going to be a test, Uh, and I'm excited to see the Chargers. Uh, But I think we're one of the best football teams in the league right now, and I think Sunday they're going to prove it. Well, and every week, you know, somebody was asking me about this today, and I'm like, you know, it's just like being back as a player. 
every week you start looking at, you know, I think you're pretty good after beating the Detroit Lions, and all of a sudden you pull up Phillip Rivers, yep. 118 quarterback rating. They're actually number 10 running the ball. But uh, but last week that was one of the things, and, and the Seahawks right now, they're repairing their run defense because the, the first week they gave up 146 yards rushing to, to Denver. That There was 113 against Dallas, 155 versus the Rams, but they held Detroit to 34, and they were a good running team. on Johnson, the rookie who'd been getting 75, 80 yards a game, he's the leading rookie rusher in the league. They held him to 22 yards, so it seems like the D-line to me is in the last couple games, Paul, I feel like they're the group that has, has maybe flashed the most improvement on this team. Yeah, and you mentioned uh, on Johnson. He was coming into the game averaging 6.4 yards per carry. Wow. We held him to 2.8. Yeah, So when we have an emphasis, we want to shut somebody down, we can do it. The Rams are another story. They're, they're a little bit tougher along the way. But we did it against Oakland. We did it against Detroit. I think we've been efficient against the run after the first couple of weeks. And, you know, more importantly... We're, we're eating clock up. We're on offense. We're, we're having very efficient drives, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten play drives, 70 yards. And, and we're starting to get up two scores now, two weeks in a row. When you do that with a good defense and a running game, game over. Uh, but, again, the Chargers, a completely different team. I think, though, against this one, I, know I won't go too much into the Chargers. If we don't give up the big play on them, you know, just umbrella it, because they've had some big home run yeah. passes. If we can make them really work hard, and I think Phillip Rivers is one of the best quarterbacks, but he has a tendency historically, history would suggest, he will turn the ball over. Yeah. Uh, and he'll try to put th- some things in some, some tight windows. So it's going to be a fun game. We talked to Eric Williams, who used to be up here, and I think he wrote for the News Tribune and now he works down in uh, and covers the Chargers, and you know he said that uh, that Anthony Lynn and uh, you know some of the coaches there, quarterback coach, had a conversation with uh, with Philip Rivers about not turning the ball over and being more conscious of that. And man, you see, it's having an an effect on him. And you know, here he is in his fifteenth year, and he's sixty nine percent completion percentage, but only thrown three interceptions. Only crazy. three interceptions. How many touchdowns? Seventeen. Five and two. Seventeen touchdowns. Yeah, it's... So it's just like I said earlier. Every week there's a challenge, and again, the Chargers with the the number ten running game in the league. So, what's your? We talked about this today, Paul, on on Danny David Moore. What's your favorite feature or group of of players on the? Or it can just be one guy like Russell Wilson. But as far as something that you're pleasantly surprised by and that you that you really like watching play what group well i think it's hard um last year i might have been able to pull out a guy or a group this year there's there's three of them really to me um number one is is a secondary i heard you, you guys had tedrick thompson on earlier today and they're gonna have a challenge we had trey flowers on last week as well they, they've got some big receivers it's it's going to be a challenge. But I think those four guys are playing as well as a group, as, as any group I've seen in a long time. And I mean, you know, far left to far right. You know, not, you know, sometimes you get two or three good DBs, but they've got four going on and they, they believe in themselves. But to me, it's an offensive line. I, yeah. I, I just think the turnaround is remarkable. Now, pro football, do you, do you, do you follow pro football focus at all? No. All right. Well, I, I do just to get an idea, just a, a, a summary. 
They are so ridiculous. I, I was going through the offensive line. First of all, you know the number one offensive line uh, by pro football focuses? It's not the Raiders, is it? The, the, I mean, the number one player. Oh, jo- player? Jo- George Fant. Really? George Fant. Now, it's a small well, sample we like size. That. We do. But now, our guards, Sweezy and Fluker, playing really well. I mean really well. Particularly in the running game. Of 195, there's 195 guys who play 20% or more of the snaps. Yeah. They're almost dead last on pro football focus for run blocking. Our two guards. Our two guards. Yeah. So I'm going to have to throw pro football focus out. It's now officially no longer something I will use because it's such a joke. They're under the bus now. Yes. They're Paul gone. Moyer. And we're going to see a play later on where uh, DJ Fluker pancakes a guy named Snacks. Harrison, I was talking to DJ Fluker. a snack. I yeah. like that. He was walking out to the buses, and, you know, he was kind of mumbling about, you know, Snacks Harrison. And I go, what do you think, DJ? Is he 380? And he goes, oh, man, he's at least 400 pounds. And he was pushing on that guy all game. So, uh, yeah, those two guys. Fluker's a strong man. They've done a great job. Yeah. So, well, coming up next, we're going to dive into the Seahawks week one opponent. We're going to hear from Sam Fortier. From the athletic that's right here on Hawks Live. Hawks Live at Pearl Seafood and Oyster Bar in Bellevue's Lincoln Square. Brought to you by Heritage Distilling's Batch Number 12 Vodka and Legendary Donuts on 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome back to Hawks Live. Dave Wyman and Paul Moyer. And right now we're going to get a uh, an opponent preview from Sam Fortier, who works for the Athletic. And uh, give give us a not a, a San Diego Charger. Your Paul and I both played in the old AFC West, Sam, and so it's hard to uh, to get used to that. But uh, but tell us uh, what kind of team is this this year? They're five and two, look really good. It's it's kind of difficult because you uh, you look at uh, who they've lost to. Well, they've lost to the two best teams in the NFL, and much like the Seahawks, they beat some teams that don't have great records. Right, and I want to first say that you guys are not alone in calling them San Diego. We've heard <laughs> officials and radio broadcasters and team and team officials. I mean, if people still think of them uh, being in San Diego, even though it's their second year here. As, as far as what they're putting out on the field, um, what you what you pointed out a good uh, a good point that they have only beaten teams with a combined record of nine and twenty eight right now. But really, what you're seeing from this Chargers team is kind of a resurgence from Philip Rivers at, at 36 years old. He's got 17 yeah. touchdowns to, to three interceptions. Um, and he's got a bevy of options on offense. You got Keenan Allen on the outside. You got Tyrell Williams and, uh, Keenan and, uh, excuse me, Mike Williams inside. And then you have a two-headed monster in the backfield with Melvin Gordon, who's developed, I think, into one of the premier backs in the league. And then Austin Eckler, um, who's a, an elite change of pace. Uh, the defense is still figuring it out. They, they've had a lot of missing pieces, especially Joey Bosa hasn't played this year. Um, so they're figuring things out there. And then, Special teams, it's sort of unbelievable that the Chargers have been unable to solve their kicking woes uh, from a season ago. So that position is still a carousel, um, and we haven't really seen any, any stability there. But uh, that's kind of where we're at in terms of uh, the Chargers report right now. There's one stat that really jumped out, and that they're averaging, what, 7.75 or 4 yards per play on first down. Is that a different philosophy from last year, and, and, and what's creating all that success on first down? 
Right. I, I don't think it's a, a change in philosophy, per se. I mean, I think Ken Wisenhunt, the offensive coordinator, has been pretty aggressive on first down normally. I think you're seeing um, definitely they're running Melvin Gordon in different ways. They used to Last year they ran him up the middle a lot more. They're running him off tackle, um, where they're doing some different things on, on first down where um, maybe Tyrell Williams, they'll, they'll be aggressive. On the first play of the game, they had the bye week this week, but the week before against Tennessee, um, they went over the top to Tyrell Williams for a 75-yard touchdown. And I think on first down, they're just seeing, you know, okay, you know, what can we get right away? Or, you know, let's, let's get Melvin in space. Let's get Austin Eckler in space. So I think what you're seeing is, uh, is definitely the, the diversity of options is what's creating um, that success on first down. We're talking to Sam Fortier from The Athletic, giving us a little preview of the Chargers. And tell us about uh, about Phillip Rivers. You know, it's funny, uh, Sam, when, I, when he came into the league, I was like, man, he's got a funky release. I don't know that that's going to work in the NFL. Obviously, I was, I was wrong. I'm still waiting for him to screw it up, right? You know, like, you know, my prediction was he wouldn't make it in the NFL. But my gosh, 15 years later, he's, uh, he's one of the all-timers. And tell us about what he means to that team. And I know he's got eight kids and you know he just seems like a, a really good guy in spite of what you see on tv sometimes where he's talking a lot of trash oh he's definitely a fiery guy and he'll never uh, back down from that but it's funny you say that about the eight kids he was on dan patrick's radio show earlier this season and uh, dan patrick said that still up i mean eight kids you got to be done right and he was like oh hell no i said we're going to the league lead so <laughs> so I that's a competitor down either it is. It is. Uh, I don't think he'll be slowing down in, in uh, the kid department. I don't think he'll be slowing down in the football department either. Anthony Lynn, Chargers head coach, came in last year and sort of emphasized taking care of the ball. And Rivers has really thrived in, uh, you know, he doesn't try to, he tried to do too much in, in the past seasons. He tried to, you know, be the entire offense. But now he's getting getting the ball into the hands of playmakers and saying, okay, you know, this system is working, so I'm, I'm going to trust it. Um, and I think that's sort of like, been a big evolution for him. You know, looking at the, the Rams, it looks like, you know, it's, it's a race to them to try to get to the Super Bowl before that new stadium gets launched. What, what, what are the thoughts there in, in kind of almost did it, San Diego Chargers, L.A. Chargers? I, they feel truly a Super Bowl contending team. And how important is it to, 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 for one of those to be the leader in L.A. for the fans? I think definitely the winning the battle for L.A., that's what the uh, Chargers marketing team called the battle for L.A., and I think that that's really important. Obviously, the Rams had a, had a more established fan base. No, no one has a bigger fan base in L.A. than the Raiders, but the Rams definitely have more established uh, fan base, and they definitely have more buzz right now. Uh, I was talking to a, you know, a ticketing expert uh, down here in Southern California who's been selling for many years, and he said the way he kind of looks at it, the way the market's shaping up for him, it's almost like the Chargers are starting over. They have a lot of fans in Orange County, but really they've had a tough time making inroads uh, here in terms of the fan base. In terms of the Super Bowl, I, mean, you, I think L.A. is pretty well-known as sort of a buzzy, that's probably the, the nice way to say it, bandwagony would be the uh, more negative way to say it, but whichever team gets the Super Bowl first, I think is going to have a, a, big, a big jump, and right now, I mean, of course, that the Rams are the favorite to get there. The Chargers, I don't know if I don't know if their fans would even say Super Bowl is on their mind. They're still waiting on Joey Bosa to come back. Uh, they're waiting to see him because this team has, has played so well in the past but never been able to get over that hump. So I think there's still a little bit too much trepidation to say Super Bowl right now. 
Well, Sam, they're, they're getting it done with, with some interesting players. A guy you mentioned earlier, Austin Ekeler, I think I'm saying his name right, 305 yards rushing, and, uh, and he's also got, uh, what, three touchdowns receiving. And then Tyrell Adams, kid out of Western Oregon. Ekeler's out of Western Colorado. I mean, you got some, they're doing a really good job, it seems like, with their personnel and, uh, and, you know, as far as acquiring talent of, you know, you're getting a lot of production from guys that are not household names. Absolutely. Um, the same scout, the guy named Tom McConaughey, the national scout for the Chargers, he found both those guys, and they are, they've been real gems. I mean, Tyrell Williams especially, uh, two years ago when Keenan Allen uh, went out for the season with an injury, Tyrell stepped up, had a 1,000 yards, and he's really evolved into not just the burner. The burner part is what got him out of Western Oregon and into the NFL, He's really developed into a complete receiver. He's won a bunch of jump balls this year. Um, and then Austin Eckler, I mean, he's you know, 5'10", 200 pounds, but if you go around that locker room, people will say he's pound for pound the strongest guy on the team. Rarely is he ever hit, hit backward. Um, and, and he's so dynamic in the passing game as well because if you can get him lined up on a linebacker, I mean, Philip Rivers has said it before, if you can get him on a linebacker, they're going to go to him and say he's going to be his man. They are loaded on offense, but share some things about their defense. They're ranked 16th coming into this uh, uh, this week, but they've got some talent on that side of the ball as well. Right, and I think it starts, and this is going to be the most relevant point this week, is this team was, was last in the league in yards per attempt on the ground. They were, averaging, they were allowing almost five yards per carry to opposing teams, and for you know, they've done a much better job this year. Their defensive line coach, Jeff Smith, has really emphasized that. And a former Seahawk, Brandon Meebane, uh, is arguably, I think, having one of the better seasons of his career so far. Um, and they've been, they've been a huge part in stopping that run. So for a team that runs the ball as much as the Seahawks with, with the philosophy that Pete Carroll has, I think that's going to be a super interesting matchup to watch um, on the defensive side of the ball for the Chargers um, this week. My apologies to Tyrell Williams. I called him Tyrell Adams, I think. And, yeah, one of those guys that I think is uh, playing his now. way to the top, man. Yeah, 21-yard average there. We're talking to Sam Fortier from The Athletic. And tell us uh, about – I see, it seems like there's a lot of bitterness, Sam, uh, from the San Diego fans. I have a, a cousin, and her husband is a huge – was a huge San Diego Charger fan. And he says they're dead to me and – you know, what, what, what's going on as far as uh, the people that are left behind down in San Diego? So I started covering the team this year, and I put out a, a message, and, and people were, you know, it, it got shared a little bit around the, the San Diego, the Chargers community, just on Twitter and, and message boards and things of that nature. And I said, you know, I, I'm new to the area. Tell me who Chargers fans are. I, I want to know who they are because all my friends were saying, you know, it's either bitter San Diegans or – you know, it's that LA people don't care because they have the beach or whatever. Like, who is supporting this team? And I probably got about 50 emails, and I would say, you know, 48 of them uh, were probably bitter San Diegans. You know, you'll you'll never the Spanos family ruin this team, and and they they really have. There's really a lot of animosity um, toward toward this team in, in, in San Diego in particular. Um, I think what you've seen is, like I said, Orange County. They have some fans there. Uh, but I do think this team is sort of struggling to uh, to find the niche. Um, and there are obviously some San Diegans who aren't bitter, uh, but there definitely is a lot of bitterness um, within that, that former fan base. And they're very vocal. You know, I, I don't know if you were there yet, but it, 
I really thought Gus Bradley, who had been here as a defensive coordinator, and, and we were looking for a defensive coordinator after last year, I thought he would end up back in Seattle. Do you, do you know what played out there? Because they had to re-sign him also, didn't they? Uh, I believe they did have to re-sign him. I'm not familiar with how that all uh, came together, but I do know that um, – Gus Bradley really does enjoy his, uh, I think his personality he's assembled on this defensive side of the ball. And, um, I think last year, I mean, I think that run, the run defense particularly, he felt like there was a lot left to prove for him. And I know, um, especially this, this offensive, uh, staff having Ken Wisenhunt, Gus Bradley, and the, both, they're both former head coaches and then Anthony Lynn, who's a first time head coach. Um, I, I do know that, uh, that I think those guys have, a, have a, a really good working relationship, so I'm not sure how much that played into it, um, but I would have to imagine it was a factor. Hey, Sam, we really appreciate you taking the time late at night to, to give us a call, and uh, thanks for the preview, and uh, we'll see you down the road. Thanks, Sam. I appreciate you guys having me. Have a good one. Got there it. goes Sam Fortier of The Athletic, and uh, coming up next... Coach Paul Moyer and I will take you inside the film room. We're going to take a look at three of the biggest plays from last week as we go inside the film room. That's right here on Hawks Live. Welcome back to Hawks Live. Dave Wyman and Paul Moyer. I thank Pearl for the delicious dinner before the show. Tonight we had some great appetizers, crab cakes, mussels. Be sure to love join crab us cakes. every Thursday so you can enjoy the food also. You love the crab cakes, huh? I do. Well, I like, yes, as a matter of fact, I do, Dave. All right, that's very Are interesting okay information. I'm glad to know that. I'll buy you some, uh, some more afterwards. Okay. But just delicious food down here at Pearl Seafood and Oyster Bar and Right now we're going to go inside the film room and we're going to start off with a, a play that, uh, you know, it's just a six-yard run, but there's something pretty interesting that happens in this play and it involves a lot of tonnage, Paul. I figure <laughs> about 800, eh, maybe 775, 780 pounds. There's a, a collision that happens during a Chris Carson six-yard run. Carson stays in the game. Russell again from the shotgun with a tight slot on the near side. Carson puts his shoulder pads down and fights all the way down inside the three-yard line. He drags Ashawn Robinson, who goes 322 pounds, the DT out of Alabama. He drags him down to the two-yard line or one-and-a-half-yard line for a six-yard game. Well, and what happened on this play? A couple of... Uh, a couple of things that happened was, number one, George Fant, they were lining him up all over the field. George Fant, offensive tackle, was a starting left offensive tackle last year, got hurt. We all know his story. He's a basketball player at Western Kentucky. Really, really great transformation as far as going from basketball to, to football. And so they've been lining him up all over the field, and I think he was lined up at tight end on this one. And then another guy, DJ Fluker, and on this one, Paul, DJ Fluker, puts Damon Snacks Harrison right on his back. And he's a guy that they had just traded for, and he's got to weigh 380 pounds. Oh, yeah, 400, I think, Flukers. He probably thinks he weighs 450 <laughs> um, because he's so strong and he wanted to prove he could lift him up. Uh, you know what was interesting about this play is they've got enough guys to stop the run. 
They do. We've got to execute this perfect. And it starts, again, with, to me, Britt. Britt gives some help um, to uh, Fluker. Just real, real brief with his right hand. It allows Fluker, who's got to get inside and seal this tackle off, and he does because of that, because they're flowing away from they're, – they're flowing to the defense's right, so they're kind of stunting. And so Fluker has to cut him off. Britt holds him off, goes through to the linebacker, moves his guy about three yards to the left. Sweezy seals his guy, moves him a couple of yards. You're a Fetty, everybody. And then I thought the best part of this was the run, because there really wasn't much there when you look at it. But he's patient. Carson, he comes to his left – and Austin, he does a little jump step back to the right, hits the crease for a six-yard gain. I thought it was a great run, really patient running on his part to let this offensive line create a hole for him because this play takes time to develop. You know, last year we had an argument on our show, Danny, Dave, and Moore, as far as what's, who's more responsible when it comes to the running game, is it the running back or the offensive line? And I always take running back. I think that it's on the running back to find gaps and places to run. And but you know they're getting both this year, really, because you know the offensive line. You can't say they're not doing a great job. It's actually for the first time in several years an asset on this team. These guys are good. They're it's it's kind of like in two thousand four or five with the Seahawks, where they had Walter Jones and Steve Hutchinson. They actually have you know that. You consider your offensive line to be an asset, but also you get Chris Carson, and I don't know how many times they ran this play, Paul, running play where they pulled both backside linemen, so it would be Sweezy and Dwayne Brown, and they pull them to the strong side, and there's you know the point of attack, and Chris Carson cuts it back to where those guys vacated. I think he is making great decisions, and he's getting good blocking, but I think Chris Carson is doing a really good job of Finding the, the, the creases. Yeah, the thing that's different about him and Lynch is he's, a, he's more of a one-move, one one-step guy, and then he hits it upfield and can make people miss. Marshawn could do that maybe two or three times. You know, he could hop left, hop right, hop back again, and then hit it very quickly. Uh, Carson's strong. He makes great decisions. And, I, you know, Dave, I think the, the part you brought up, I think it just takes both. It, we, it's proven sure. out that you got to have a great running back. You got to have a great offensive line to be very successful in the run game today. Well, the next play, uh, Justin Coleman. Now we talk a lot about my favorite part of this team is the defensive backs. I love Trey Flowers, a rookie fifth round draft choice. Reminds me a lot of the Richard Sherman story. Not to com- compare him to Richard Sherman, but you know Bradley McDougald is a guy who was a free agent coming out of Kansas and. You know, more of a veteran player, Tedrick Thompson, a later round draft choice. I mean, all these guys, Shaquille Griffin. But one guy we don't talk about enough is Justin Coleman. Justin Coleman coming over from the New England Patriots. And John Schneider and his staff identified him as a guy that would be a really good inside cover guy, a nickel player, is uh, as they're called. And, you know, usually you see teams in nickels, like nickel 65% of the time, defenses because they're matching up against the offense. And, and Justin Coleman has done a really good job, had a couple pick sixes last year, and had one this last Sunday. 3.15 left to play in the game. Stafford takes the shotgun snap, rolls right, looks, fires, ball is intercepted! Reaching up and pulling it down <laughs> is Coleman at about the two-yard line. Stafford, I don't think, ever saw him and tried to force it into the front corner of the end zone. And Coleman was right there 
kept his toes in bounds, and that, you would hope, might do it for the Seahawks. Yeah, it, he, and he has been a, a great find for us. This play, my, my son texts me, he goes, Dad, why do they keep running these plays? It's sprint right option. Well, for those who remember the Cowboys and 49er way back, you know, 30 years ago, Joe Montana to, to Dwight Clark, that was a sprint right option. The quarterback sprints out to his right. He's got an option for two wide receivers, usually as a guy quick in the flat. Well, guess what? Most offensive teams and coordinators know this play and practice it a lot. And, and, I'm, and I'm laughing because Coleman, he sees it, and he just sprints to the sideline where the um, the cone is right there, the red or orange cone. And I, I don't know what Stafford was looking at because they're playing cover two. I don't like cover two inside the 20. I think oh. it's really hard. But yes. the way they, they run this combo with Griffin, and I'm not sure if that's McDougal or, or uh, Tedrick Thompson up there, they play it great. But they need Coleman to bust his tail to get into that flat and get underneath that out route, which allows Griffin to play the other receiver uh, underneath. Yeah, and he was sprinting. You could see he had a purpose when he was running over there, and, uh, and that's just one of those little subtle things. That comes from film study, right? Yeah. No, yeah. that was great. Great play. Yeah, Justin Coleman, uh, he's, just, uh, he's been such a good – he's great on punt coverage as well. He's also a, a gunner or headhunter, whatever you want, want to call him, lines up on the outside and, and goes down and, uh, and chases after the punt return, does a really good job. Dave, I thought that would be the last exciting play in the final three minutes of the game. We're up, what, 14 points. There's three minutes and 11 seconds left. We get an interception. Game's over, right? It's over. There's nothing exciting. We're just going to kneel down, but – we're going to punt now. Yeah, well, and yeah, you, you'd think that maybe we'd get a first down there, but we can't. <laughs> and you know what? What happens is uh, the entire game gets put into the hands of the punter. And we know that Michael Dixon has a big leg, but he also can kick it directionally as well as anybody. And he's going to run around. They might be taking the safety, although he could probably run. And he does. Michael Dixon <laughs> picks up a first down. Are you kidding me? Pete Carroll told him, run around, wind down some clock, and if you don't see anything, probably get out of the back of the end zone. We'll take the safety. He had the entire right side of the field open, and Michael Dixon takes it and runs for a first down. They didn't teach him that in Australian rules football, I guarantee you. I've, I've got Dory Monson and Michael Bumpus and myself, and Dory goes, Oh, they ran a fake. I go, no, that was not a fake. Yeah. He was supposed to take a safety. And I'm going, I, I can't wait to have Michael Dixon on in about 30 minutes. Because I was, my first thought was, I go, does he even know that he's got to get 10 yards for a first down? Because yeah. in rugby, there's, there's no first downs, right? You just, oh, I got a clear space. I'm going to go and run it. Well, Paul, you're going to get to ask him that very question in I can't person. Wait. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, great job by him. I mean, I think, and we'll talk about this more, but, you know, I think that Pete allows players to, to make plays like that. And the thing is, if you take a risk, you better make it. Oh. And uh, I don't know if maybe it's because he's a rookie and he just didn't know any better, but uh, it, it was a fantastic play. I declared him a true football player after he, that play. He made it, and that saved everything because I know it'll never happen again so just know that that yeah. what that plays over may not see that one again no. coming up next we're going to talk to the professor john clayton about all things nfl that's next here on hawks live 
Hawks Live at Pearl Seafood and Oyster Bar in Bellevue's Lincoln Square. Brought to you by Heritage Distilling's Batch Number 12 Vodka and Legendary Donuts on 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome back to Hawks Live. You're listening to Hawks Live, Paul Moyer, Dave Wyman, Pearl Seafood and Oyster Bar and Coming up next, we uh, in the next segment, we're going to get Michael Dixon up here live in person. Show starts every Thursday at seven o'clock. I want to thank our sponsors: Heritage Distillings, Batch Number Twelve Vodka, and Legendary Donuts. And right now, we have the Professor John Clayton on the line. John, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. I'm doing. Let's put it this way: doing better than the Raiders. This Raider Ooh. team may be the worst team I have ever seen. You you think so? I mean, the one He's thing bad. that I. Well, the, you and I saw the same thing, yeah. John. When we were over in London, and this is one of the things, you know, we, we know Bruce Irvin pretty well around here. Mm-hmm. And I saw him just kind of coasting. He didn't seem very interested in, in playing hard. And uh, you see now, what is the score, 31-3 to or something yeah, like and, that? And, 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 and it's honestly, terrible. it looks like the entire Raider team has quit on John Gruden. Entire team. I mean, I know uh, Derek Carr is trying to do the best he can, but everybody else looks like it's quit. Well, and it looks like they might be warming up their backup quarterback. But, you know, it's just weird because you got a bunch of veterans. And, you know, John, I don't know, maybe it's the money, but I know that Paul and I, you can talk to this better than anyone. Like, when you're out there on the field, I mean, you're putting your product on film, and everybody's going to see it. And Mm -hmm. I just had too much pride to not play hard on every single play. And it's just weird to see, you know, if that's what's truly going on, it's just it's – it's hard to believe that that's, that's happening at the professional level. Well, I know we talked about this earlier, but it's like, okay, so the, two, the 1992 team was one of the worst teams I've ever covered. It was a right. team that uh, you know, won, what, two games? It, gave up, it only scored 143 points. But the effort on that team was so good that the defense finished in the top ten. Cortez Kennedy won Defensive Player of the Year, and it's like the effort was there. The talent, unfortunately, on offense and the quarterback position was not there. But again, it was like it's one thing to be able to talk about. Uh, okay, so uh, you you don't have enough talent to win, but also you look at this Raider team. There's talent on there. You look at that offensive line. There's talent, particularly from guard to guard. I mean, you've got three Pro Bowl caliber guys, guard to guard, and uh, you know. Uh, defensively, it looks like they've quit. I mean, 31 points given up this early to Nick Mullins at quarterback. It's embarrassing. Wow. I wish they were in the NFC West. Yeah. But well, not. no, you got. Well, let's put it this way: you got two teams in the NFC West that aren't good at all. I mean, San Francisco. I know they're blowing out the Raiders, but they're terrible. I mean, now when you look at the ratings, they're 31st in the league. Arizona's probably about 29th because they've beaten San Francisco twice. I mean, that's what what helps Seattle out. They have three games remaining against you know Arizona and San Francisco, and they should be three wins. You know, John, I, uh, I go off subject here a little bit, thinking about San Francisco, because there were some high expectations. They won, what, five in a row at the end of last year. You had Garoppolo. I mean, are, the, are they the most disappointing team this year, or, or who do you think is? Jacksonville. Uh, yeah. Jacksonville yeah, has eight Pro one. Bowl players on defense. Uh, they've got a lot of injuries on offense, but they have Blake Bortles, a quarterback who's terrible. But the biggest disappointment, I think, is Jacksonville because they're sitting there right now, what, three and five? I mean, San Francisco, you can understand. It's like if you lose Garoppolo at quarterback, 
and then you lose Jarek McKinnon, who you paid $7.5 million a year at running back, and you have other injuries. I mean, that catches up to you. And so I think they just got hit by injuries. Raiders, I mean, they just get hit by incompetence. I mean, bad coaching, bad uh, decision-making by John Gruden. But, no, I think that uh, Jacksonville's the most disappointing team in the league. John, I've heard a story, and, you know, there's always conspiracy theories and everything, but that that John Gruden was happy doing Monday Night Football with Mike Tirico, and he would mm-hmm. do his seminar and everything. And then what was the guy named McDonough? Sean McDonough, Mc, yeah. McDonough comes in, and he's a super know-it-all and tries to tell John what's what as far as football, and he hates it so much that he decides to entertain um, – a coaching job mm-hmm. and so that's that's one of the reasons why he went with oakland i know that's a bit of a stretch but man well he's making lots of money right oh yeah and yeah I think it's, coaches it's not, always wanna... honestly what you're saying is not as much of a stretch because understand it's like will mcdonough was my mentor in learning what i need to do to cover this league i mean he taught me a lot of different things and of course sean of course is his son but i can yeah. also tell you having been at ESPN and working with Sean, he sometimes can be a little bit tough to work with, and apparently John Gruden felt the same thing. And so what you saw was that uh, even though Sean, uh, that really, uh, every year there's like one to two offers a year, and I'm not talking about anything that's going on with Greg Williams and that stupid story that he came out and said he had 11 offers and four that he could just sign up for to be a head coach. I mean, there was legitimately two to three offers a year for John Gruden to be a $10 million a year coach. He loved doing the broadcasting thing because it gave him more time with the family and everything else and where his lifestyle was in Tampa with his building that he had and all that stuff. Uh, But, you know, finally, I think he did get tired of working with Sean, and he kind of distanced himself with Sean and said, okay, if something looks good, I'll do it, and the Raider thing looked good. Unfortunately for the Raiders, for John Gruden, it looks bad. How much do you think Gruden was getting paid to to do Monday Night Football? Six million. And what's what's he making now? Ten. Yeah, I, because I he, you know, not, he got a ten-year, ten-million-dollar contract. Although one thing that he did kind of leak out, and I think it's probably valid, is it's really more of a five-year deal with a five-year option. And so, uh, you know, and, and the one thing that he did do, which I think was pretty wise, is that. Most of the money in like the third year is going to be more in Vegas than it is in California because of the taxes. Because what is it, 14% taxes in the state of California where it's like no taxes in Vegas. So I think he deferred a lot of money and probably was making like 4 or $5 million a year. But when he gets to Vegas, if he gets – and I say this, if he gets to Vegas, because I think right now it's an if because it's so bad right now. I know because I have a good relationship with Mark Davis, he's not happy. And how can you be happy with the performance you see on the field? Well, it's just weird, too, that he's a guy that would, I would think would appeal to veteran players, and he's got a lot of veteran players, and they're not playing for him. So. Speaking of it's a, a veteran player, uh, Seahawks released Brandon Marshall. Man, I, I really liked him. I did, too. It, it, does, the, does the release, the timing of the release have to do with we're at the halfway point? Because next week would possibly... McKissick coming back, I thought maybe that would be a, an opportunity there. But Yeah, I, I thought it was going to be more next week than this week. I think what it came down to is that, uh, I don't know, I, I still have the feeling that somebody may have like wanted to get Malik Turner on the uh, – on the roster as a because again he's on the practice squad and they had three three receivers on the practice squad because they could have brought back Keenan Reynolds they could have brought Caleb Scott 
But I think what ended up happening is that somebody must have had some inquiries on Turner, and so they bring him back. And I think that they think he can be a pretty good special teams player. And so they made the move one week early than they probably expected to. But when I went into the locker room after the game in Detroit, I mean, Brandon Marshall was gone within five minutes. I mean, he had taken the shower pill. He was gone. And so after two plays in the game, and I saw the two plays because I know in the the uh, in the press box stats, they had him as did not play, but I saw him on the field on a goal line situation or two, and so I think what it came down to is I think he realized he was on the verge of getting uh, released, and uh, I guess from that standpoint, I'm not surprised. I'm disappointed because, again, he grew up in a ghetto that was like six miles away from my ghetto, and so I really liked him a lot. Again, borderline Hall of Fame guy. Those four drops really sealed his fate here in Seattle. All right, John, thanks much for the info. Great stuff, and uh, I'll talk to you tomorrow oh, at 4 o'clock good. on our show. All right, All right there goes John, John Clayton. Clayton, the professor. Coming up next, Michael Dixon, as promised. He's got a little football knitted here with a number four on it. He'll be here up on the stage. That's next on Hawks Live. Hawks Live.